Yeah, thank you so much for that. And I can guarantee you, you all will be missed. And I saw Greg was talking about inviting us for meals. Please do invite <laughs> us for meals. It's our opportunity to eat for free. Amen, amen. Can I ask that every head be bowed and every eye closed? Bread of life, we pray that you would feed us this morning. And Heavenly Father, I have no power in my flesh. I cannot deliver this word without your power and your anointing. I have no power in my flesh and no anointing of myself. Your God has brought me to this word, and I can only preach what you impress on my heart as your word for the time. Open, give us ears, O Lord, to hear what the Spirit has to say. Pure Lord God, I pray that you would sanctify me, a pure vessel from which pure living water will flow, that will encourage us, that will challenge us, that will convict us, and that will comfort us. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. amen. Hallelujah. And Caroline did say that, please say amen in, in part of the prayer session, but I'm going to request for the amens to come here. I'm going to post order, pre-order, pre-order amens. Hallelujah. I was glad when they said to me, come, let us go to the house of the Lord. That is Psalm 122 verses 1. But I must confess that it hasn't always been that way for me. As a village lad growing up, I was glad when they said to me, come, let us eat some chicken licking. <laughs> Why? So chicken licking saved our free-range chickens in the yard. I loved Coco's chickens. They were like streetwise buddies to me, not KFC streetwise too. They could stand their ground in a fight, so I didn't enjoy seeing them slaughtered. Imagine plucking the feathers of somebody that's hustling. Now, if you know village chickens, they don't have to be fed all the They're independent. They don't have to be fed all the time. They hustle. I mean, they have a dream, right? A dream for better things, not better stew. And even when they are dead and headless, they still scorp you. And when you try and pluck their feathers, like trying to pull Wolverine's claws. Now, here's the thing, though. Even when they are been dead and they've been cooked for what feels like days, they still refuse to give you their meat without a fight. Now, I can't tell you how many old men in the village walked around toothless. And if you ask them, what happened? But Baba, you haven't been in a, car, in a car for years. How are you in a car accident? Then you ask somebody else, they'll be like, So in other words, I was beaten up by boys at Manzimande's tavern. But if you dig a little deeper, credit goes to old free-range chicken with the hard meat and bones. Now I said bones. Now, us Zulu guys, we like to do a thorough job when we eat our chicken. We don't... <laughs> and some Zulu guys can, can, can relate. We don't allow the bones to go through a slow, drawn-out process of decomposition. We like to fast-track the process. In other words, we flatten. We chew those bones until they are transformed into mince powder. What I'm trying to say to you is that my wife loves chicken, I love chicken, and Joe Burgers love chicken. If you don't love, yes, and if you don't love chicken, we all at least enjoy a good meal. And what is better than a good meal? It is enjoying a good meal with others. And so the title of this 
morning sermon is instead of growing your belly one meal at a time, how about we grow the kingdom of God one meal at a time? Now, hallelujah, amen. I'm sure many can sign up for that evangelism. And we are in the middle of our blessed series. And it is, a, it is a series based on a book by two brothers, Dave and John Ferguson. And they've, they've blessed us so beautifully with that excellent book that helps us to unpack or helps us with the series of BLESS. And as we know that BLESS is an acronym, the first B is for begin with prayer. Greg took us through that. And the second, the L stands for listen. And today I'm going to be preaching about my favorite subject, which is eating. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so, in Jesus Christ's culture, or back then, over 2,000 years ago, and I would argue many cultures even today, eating is a significant and pivotal part of the cultural expression of that time. And so when you ate with somebody, it wasn't just you having a meal, but it was you expressing that you are affirming of that individual's identity, dignity, importance, and significance. And so when you chose that I'm going to be eating with you, it was as if you were sharing a part of who you are. And now before we get to the spiritual elements of the importance of eating a meal or sharing a meal with other people, I want us to just unpack the scientific, physical, and scientific benefits of eating a meal with others. Now there's a lot of studies that speak of the benefits of sharing a meal with others. And I've chose one, which is from the, from the Health Board of Canada, which says when you eat with people, one, it, it results in healthier eating into adulthood, lowers the risk of disorderly eating, less use of cigarettes, drugs, and alcohol, better self-esteem and less depression, and also better grades and higher scores on achievement tests in school. So apparently, just sharing a meal with other people has real benefits, not just for children, but for adults as well. But let's pick on Jesus Christ himself. Now, if I asked you the question, how did Jesus Christ save the world? Now, you'll give me answers like the fact that Jesus Christ, number one, he walked on water, he paid taxes out of mouths of fish, he healed the sick, delivered people from demonic possession, he died on the cross, he was resurrected. And all those things are true. But my question is, have you noticed that part of how Jesus Christ saved the world was through eating and sharing a meal with people. Now, if you don't believe me, just look at the book of Luke alone. We see in incidences of about 10 times, Jesus sitting around a meal and sharing a meal with other people. We see the first miracle that Jesus Christ performed, he performed at a wedding feast. We also see Jesus Christ, the only miracle that is reflected in all three Gospels, which is him feeding the 5,000. We also see him just the day before his crucifixion, having a meal with his disciples. We also see him again on, after his resurrection, Jesus Christ being a proudly South African as he did a shisanyama at the bride, as he ate again with his disciples. So Jesus Christ, a lot of what he did to save the world was sharing meals with other people. Now, while all of us are sitting here, many of us who call Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior will credit our salvation or our journey to salvation to people who loved us enough to invite us into their homes to share not just their money, but share their time and resources with us through sharing a meal with us. Last week, we were speaking, I had a chat with, with Josh, and we were just reflecting on an incident that happened about a couple of years ago 
where him and, and Megan, Josh is an elder here, and married to Megan, and they had invited this individual, can I call her Sue? Um, I know Sue is sitting here, not that Sue, but, 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 but another Sue that I've made up, anyways. And so they invited Sue to come and be with them, and they loved Sue, and they opened up their home, and they shared meals with each other, and it so happened that they also invited Sue, came along with them to church. And on that day, I so happened to be preaching. And when I did an invitation, she accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior on that day. And yes, the Spirit of God was moving, and God touched and speak, spoke to her heart. But we often don't recognize the hard yards behind the scenes of people like Josh and Megan, who went out of their way, spent time and loved on this individual, and today they call heaven their home and Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior, simply because they decided to make an intentional decision to love them and share a meal with them. Now, before I, I dive into Jesus Christ and let us just take a, a microscopic view or a panoramic view of how Jesus Christ did it in action, I want us just to like, bat out all the excuses that we might have, why we do not share meals with people. Now, excuse number one is that I don't share meals with people simply because I don't like people in my home. Now, there could be a multiplicity of reasons why. Maybe you're staying with your parents or there's something we feel your home is not presentable enough. Whatever your reason, that still is not a good enough excuse because it's not about where you have a meal with somebody, but it's about who you are having a meal with. And so you can have a meal by the dam, by the park, for all I care, even at a car park or some stoop somewhere where you sit with somebody and say, I'm going to spend my time, I'm going to enjoy a meal with you. The second excuse that we, we come up with, we say, but what am I going to say to this person? We share nothing in common. And so Dave helped us quite well last week when he said, when we engage with people, let us develop a healthy sense of curiosity. Just because we don't have anything in common does, is no excuse why I shouldn't try and get to know you. In actual fact, the fact that I don't know much about you gives me more the reason for me to see this as an opportunity to authentically pursue and get to learn who you are. So still, that is not a good enough excuse. And the third and final excuse, which I would think many Joburgers would resonate with, is that I just don't have the time. And every time I find myself eating, I am sitting in my car, solo, driving with my knees. Not that I've ever done that. Driving with my knees and stuffing down a burger down my throat, simply because I feel like I just don't have time to sit and have a meal together. Now, you don't have to uh, start big and say every day, but how much you start with just eating with somebody, one person in a week, and say, I'm just going to spend one time, whether it's my lunch back, tea break, or breakfast, or dinner, whatever it is, one day in a week, I will identify that person and have a meal with that individual. So that we have, now that we have sort of battered out all the excuses, let's dive and see how the Lion of Judah the Lion of Judah, the Rock of Ages, the King of Kings, the one who was, is, and is yet to come, the paternal leader, the ruling Lord, the reigning King of, uh, of the universe, the one who was, is, and is yet to come, come, the architect of the universe. Who am I talking about? Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's see how he does this thing of eating and sharing a meal with other people. And so we look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. And Jesus, so the word says here, 
As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, underline many, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Other translations say to us, I have not come to call the righteous. Yeah, well, this one says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. But most translations says, sinners to repentance. And if you forget everything today, remember, when you are deciding on sharing meals, it's not about the righteousness of people. But if you're going to lean in any direction, lean towards the sinners. That's who we are called to, not called to the righteous. But I want us to dive into the text and begin to smell the good curry that my wife makes in the scene as Jesus Christ invites Matthew to, oh, Matthew invites Jesus, by the way, to go and share a meal with him in his house. Now, we see Jesus Christ looking and seeing Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, there's two things I want you to notice about our character, Matthew. One, he is a Hebrew of Hebrews. And number two, he is a tax collector. Now, is he, does it mean he's just like a normal SARS official? So if you work for SARS, please do not feel condemned. It, is, there is, it would be a false equivalence if I would say he was just a normal SARS collector. But there was a special disdain that the Hebrews of the time had towards tax collectors. And why was that? It was simply because you had the Roman government that had taken over and began to oppress the Jews. And now they were calling the shots and the Jews had no self-determination. And so... Obviously, many Jews, even when they thought about the Messiah, they thought the Messiah is going to create a revolution and overthrow the Roman government that had imposed itself on them. And so when you are a tax collector, you are effectively working for the government which was against the Jewish people. And so that's why they looked at the tax collectors to be worse than your, your sinners, your prostitutes and thieves of the time. And so if you want to take it closer to South Africa, in a South African context, we'd look, for example, during apartheid, you had what was called the Askari. So if you had some black South African police officers who had defected from fighting, instead of fighting the liberation, they had moved and changed switch sides, and now they're working for the apartheid government, effectively lubricating the wheels of a government that is working against your people. And so there was a special dislike for that. So in a South African case, what would happen is they would, they would necklace you and put a, a tires around you, put petrol, and light you up in the middle of the street and villages and townships for everyone to see that don't dare consider being a traitor or what people have later referred to as you are a sellout of the time. And I would argue there was a similar disdain that the Hebrew people had for people like Matthew, the tax collector, but what we do see, we see Jesus Christ going, approaching Matthew, and Matthew leaving everything behind and following Jesus Christ. And obviously Matthew was wealthy and rich at the time, and, and Jesus Christ, well, obviously, goes to this massive house, and I can only conclude it's a massive house because what we see in here, there's many tax collectors and sinners. 
But on the other hand, we also see this other group called the Pharisees. Now, before we just unpack the two groups, I want you to also look at Jesus Christ's entourage. Some of the people that were with Jesus are the likes of characters like Simon the Zealot. Now, Simon the Zealot, commentators say that they were part of a, a zealous or a religious extreme group that believed in, military, in the military throwover of, of Rome. So you can argue that they were like the freedom fighters of the Hebrew people at the time. And so you see Matthew, the tax collector, sitting beside people like Simon the Zealot. And so most of us would be, or not most of us, but some folks, um, they will fight at the drop of the hat. But a character like Simon the Zealot, I would argue, he would help you drop the hat so that we can begin the fight. So that's the, how prone he was for, for I mean, he was a, he was a fighter, for, I mean, um, as what the, 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 the commentators describe, people like Simon the Zealot. But what is important is that we see Matthew and Simon the Zealot and all these folks and these characters, albeit they hated each other, but they have found that the same posture and position in the presence of Jesus Christ. Because why? They appreciated that their allegiance to Jesus was more important than their, their submission or allegiance to any political or sociological or economic ideology or any other thought process or what, they, what the culture of the time dictated. And so they placed Jesus above their differences. And I would say that's the call for us as believers of Jesus Christ, that when we are truly following Jesus, we will find ourselves that we can have an EFF supporter sitting next to a Freedom Front Plus supporter, an ANC supporter sitting next to a, a, a DA supporter, because we appreciate the fact that the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus is stronger than anything that can divide us based on our ideological disposition. And that's what we are seeing with these characters. And so when we share meals, it will be good to see more black people sitting with white people around the table on a dinner table, or vice versa, white people sitting with, with, with black people. But another question I would ask, when last did you sit and have a meal with a homeless person? Somebody who has no place to go. I know we sometimes, we all do this, we give the 10 rand coin, well, not 10 rand coin, we're not there yet, at least it's still, it's still, still paper. But anyways, we put either five rand coin or a 10 rand note inside that copy. But the question is, when last did you sit and have a meal with the, with the, with the, with the homeless person? You don't have to take them to your house, as said. You can go to a restaurant anywhere and share yourself with them. I know they smell funny. They haven't had a chance to bath for like months, I don't know how long. But have you spent that time doing that? And I want you also just to notice here, Jesus Christ ate so much with tax collectors and sinners, that Jesus Christ, when you read the Bible in Luke 7, verses 34 to 35, he says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you said, here comes a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, I would argue, Jesus Christ was not a glutton. Jesus Christ was not a drunkard, but he ate so much with people who were like such that he acquired the reputation that he was those things. And most of us, we won't do certain things because it will ruin our reputation. 
It may ruin my reputation at work. It may ruin my reputation in my social circle, and I may lose some social capital, and that's my God. But you see, Jesus Christ didn't care much about reputation. He was focused on one thing, and one thing only, to seek and save the lost. And praise Jesus, he cared so much about seeking and saving the lost that Gentiles like you and I, who are not worthy of being part of the, of the priesthood of Israel, are now have been engrafted because Jesus was willing to break barriers and boundaries and risk his reputation so that you and I can call him our Lord and Savior. Hallelujah. Now, I want us to look at and pause for a moment and then look at the tax collectors on the one side and the sinners, and then we look at the Pharisees on the other side. Now, the Pharisees, when they looked at that group, they totally despised that group. And I think it's a stronger thing than despising someone because they don't just despise them, they had a conviction to hate them. It was driven by a religious conviction, whereas this other group didn't care much about that other group. And so we see them around Jesus Christ. But you see, Jesus Christ was seeking after the tax collectors and the sinners. Now, if you would ever find yourself in any of those two camps, I would rather advise you to choose the camp of the tax collectors and the sinners. You see, the difference between the two is that the, the, the Pharisees needed God, and they were far from God, but they did not know it. Yes, yet the tax collectors and sinners, they were far from God, but they knew it. They knew it, that they needed His grace. And they were, and they were predisposed to be more responsive to the message of Jesus Christ. Now, last week, Tuesday, I was privileged by, to be invited at Luco Prison. And now, in there, it was a room packed with inmates. And all these people are in here for one reason only, is because they've been condemned by the world for good reason. They have done some horrendous things, and that's why they are in the prison where they are. But one thing I noticed is that the moment we started praying and worshiping, we, the, the, the whole room erupted into praise and worship. There were no musicians, no music, no uh, microphones, nothing. But the, I could tell you the worship was so, the presence of God was just so evident, and their hunger was tangible. And after after giving the message, I invited them to receive Jesus Christ. And not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but 11 inmates made a decision for Jesus Christ that day. Now, the reason for that, I would argue, is because they know that they are desperate for salvation. They are acutely aware of their state of brokenness. And the problem is, there are so many people who are not in prison, but are captive to drunkenness, to alcoholism, to hatred, to all these things. They are more in prison than the leaven that accepted Jesus Christ on Tuesday. And you see, some of us are like the Pharisees, because... I'm not in prison. I, I didn't rob a bank. But I would say it doesn't matter whether you robbed the bank or you stole a toothpick. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And we all need Jesus. And Jesus Christ goes and he says to these Pharisees, and he looks at them and he says, um, guys, actually, I've not come for the righteous, but I've come for the sinners. And we may be predisposed to assume that Jesus Christ means that the Pharisees were righteous. But I'd argue that is not the case. Jesus was being sarcastic. Because if you read the Bible, in other Gospels, we hear Jesus Christ saying, you brood of vipers. Now, whether you read Greek or English, brood of vipers, even in the Greek, is not 
a cool term to be named after. He calls them whitewashed tombs. He calls them, he says, you are hypocrites. He says, you are, you like, you put burdens on people. And when, even when you have converted them, you make them twice the child of hell. Because you make them like you. And they try and work their way to salvation. And not realizing that only God can make us righteous. Only the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient for us to make heaven our home. But you tell them, do these things. And when they've done these things, they think they're okay, but they are not. And that's what Jesus Christ says about these Pharisees. But you see, interesting enough, Jesus Christ quotes the book of Hosea. And the book of Hosea is one of my favorite books. Because Jesus Christ goes to them, he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And he instructs them, but go and learn what this means. Now, this is like a village peasant preacher speaking to a PhD pile high and deep theologian and say, I know you study this thing, but I don't think you understand what you are talking about. You may have degrees more than a thermometer, but you have no idea about what the scripture, just go back and learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And the book of Hosea, just to give you some context, it's the prophet Hosea marries Gomer, the prostitute. And Gomer, the prostitute, even after their marriage, goes out and commits adultery to the extent that she prostitutes herself to, to even owing her lovers. And she's held captive by what she has done because she can't pay her debts. But not only does the prophet Hosea pursue her, she goes and, she, and, he, and he redeems her. And when he's redeemed her, he even pays off all her debts to her lovers. And God turns around and says, Israel, that is you. That is you to me. You've pursued all these other gods but me. You are like the prostitute. But yet I am still pursuing you. And that's why, that's my character. I love mercy as your God. And yet you Pharisees are acutely aloof to your need for mercy. That when you quote scripture, you credit it to your own intellectual grasp and hard grafting, but you fail to appreciate it is through my mercy. You are just a sinner saved by grace. And the other, and the other part of the verse says, says I, for, I de, for, for I desire the knowledge of God rather than, than, than burnt offerings. Other translation says acknowledgement. But, I, but long and short of it, it says knowing who God is. Knowing who he is, is what I care about. Where you love him with everything and understanding what God's heart. You see, the Pharisees understood theology and theology is the study of God. But I would argue they did not quite know God. And it is possible to be in love with the study of God and not God himself. And they loved their theology more than loving God because if they did love God, and they were able to understand and their hearts to be intertwined with the heart of the Savior, they would realize the very fact that you have the temple. Now you have a situation where they made it so hard for sinners and tax collectors to be around the temple. And because they've made it so hard, the sinners and tax collectors almost but give, they'd given up about this whole thing of the temple. But you see, the reason you have the temple to begin with, it is the icon of God's presence. God said, I want to be found amongst my people. I want to be close to people. But you see, they had missed the point. Jesus says, it's like, they are like a doctor who says, you know what? Keep all the sick people away from me. They missed the purpose of their call. 
And that is what we see in this particular, in this particular scripture. And is it interesting that the temple, in fact, where the Jerusalem temple, God was no longer there, but God had now jumped into the in a human body, tabernacled himself in the flesh. Jesus, the Son of God, the true God, the one who was, is, and is yet to come. He was there in the flesh. And he's not in the temple where they try to keep people from, but Jesus, the temple of God, is found amongst the tax collectors and sinners. They missed all of that because his heart is for the people. And I would argue that all of us, when we have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, we must be like paramedics who have been transformed by Jesus Christ with the radio frequency of heaven that allows us to respond to the lost, to the brokenhearted, to the despised, to the destitute, to the, to the people who need a savior. And we respond with the siren, making sounds like the song that we were singing about earlier on, that we are making a sound declaring that dead bodies and dead people are still being saved. Souls are still being saved. Mountains are still being moved. Giants are still being slain. And needs are still being met, all in the name of Jesus. That's what we are called to do. Because you see, God could have saved us and we would have dropped down dead and have our curry somewhere far away and away from people. But he saved us and he kept us for a purpose. And that purpose is to extend the love that he's shown us to other people. We are now like the temple of the living God. That's why the first Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 speaks about. It speaks about the fact that don't you know that your body is the temple of God? Now we have an, an opportunity, the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in us. Whenever we sit with somebody, understand that that's the only time they can really get close to the intimate presence of God when you share a meal with them. Amen. I'm going to ask every head to be bowed and every eye closed. even as we've come to the end of our message this morning, and you are sitting here and you're saying, Timber, I, today, I've never made a decision for Jesus. I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. I want to do what Matthew did. That when Jesus Christ calls, Matthew didn't hesitate. He left everything behind. And at that time, it was even his livelihood. And he says, whatever the cost is, because it's not a, it's not a cheap thing to follow Jesus. And, and it's not just a casual acquaintance, but it is a call to follow who Jesus Christ is. And if you are saying, Temba, today, I want to make that decision this morning. While every head is closed, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand. And lift it high so I can see it. I want to make a decision for Jesus. God sees that hand. Just lift it high so I can see it. Anyone else? I want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. If you've lifted it up and I didn't see it, please lift it high so I can see it. And we can pray with you. And we can pray with this one hand that's been lifted. I'm going to ask all of us to pray in agreement. Lord Jesus, I thank you for loving sinners like me. 
Today, Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner that needs grace. I thank you that you died for me on the cross to pay the debt for my sins. And today, Lord, I choose to follow you and make you my Lord and Savior. And as of today, I declare that I am a new creation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give that hand a round of applause. And I just want to change script a little bit and focus on us who have made Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. And if you reflect in the past couple of weeks or months, maybe years, or maybe days only, and you, if I would ask you this question, that, how, that if... So I'm, I'm just trying to rephrase this question. That how many people you personally have called to, to, called to salvation, would the mission of salvation be thriving and flourishing if every other Christian was like you in inviting others or having meals with people who are different to you, having meals with sinners? If it all was just what you've done, that potentially not many souls would have come to experience the grace that you enjoy every day. If you feel honestly before God and this congregation that that is you, I'm going to ask you also to lift up your hand and lift it up in a way that says, Lord, from today onwards, I want to make a commitment that I'm going to start loving sinners more. If that is you, I want to ask you to lift up your hand as well. Amen. God sees those hands. God sees those hands. God sees those hands. I just want to ask, in fact, maybe I think what we'll do is, um, I want to ask you to come, to come forward, and I'm going to ask just guys, Greg, Sari, and and whoever else is a believer, if you're if you a believer, otherwise maybe we may not have enough hands. Let's just do a, a communal prayer. But it will also be nice just if you need. But I think I would recommend that if you can, just get a prayer partner just to pray. Have somebody hold you accountable as we just monitor the progress. Because all of us, we all tend to drift. And so it would be good to just pray with someone even at an, on an individual occasion. But... For now, let us just all pray and say this prayer. Just say this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, this morning, I want to declare that I still love you with all my heart. And I want to repent for just being too comfortable with being comfortable and forgetting about the lost. That that are on their way to hell, who do not know you. Help me, Lord, this morning to honor the call to go out 
and minister to the lost. And I pray for the Holy Spirit to help me because I cannot do this in my own strength. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.